Rail Up, the future mobility podcast with innovators and leaders of the ecosystem. Presented by Sebastian Sperker. Our guest today is Stefan Kirch. He is co-founder of the rail tech company Nivomo. He worked for over one decade for one of the biggest infrastructure manager in Europe and started his new career in 2021. He will tell us about the challenges of the rail network in Europe and future perspective of the railway. We will discuss the vision of Nevomo and why upgrading the existing infrastructure could be a much better approach than building a fifth mode of transport. We will find out what SpaceX, Parallel Systems and Nevomo has in common and why Maglev rail system has yet to get the breakthrough. Furthermore, I will reveal my experience when I visited the test site of Nevomo in Poland and why the recently presented video of this test was watched by more than 200,000 people in the first weeks. I think Stefan is the perfect RailUp guest and I'm happy to have him with us today. Welcome to RailUp. Hi Sebastian, thanks for having me. Hi Stefan, uh, I start my podcast always with the question, are you a leader or an innovator? How would you describe yourself? I think I've always been both. And I think also like for real change, you have to have both aspects. Otherwise you have great ideas, but nothing happens or something happens, but it was not a great idea. So I think you, you have to have both. That's the most frequent answer in our podcast, basically like that you have to be <laughs> a leader and like an innovator. Um, Stefan, before we talk about Nivomo, about yourself, like I would start our journey with a very big question. Uh, and I would like to tease one thing. You worked probably for the largest infrastructure provider in Europe and you probably have a vast experience of the network and of the capacity. And we see the Green Deal in Europe. We have super ambitious targets to tackle the climate change. And one are part of, of, of the targets is like to shift more Uh, volumes from road to rail and there is one target uh, for example to sh have a 30% model split of rail by 2030. Uh, just um, um, to, to update like today we have 20% so that means in the next six years we need to, to shift 30% more cargo to the rail and my question to you is the infrastructure in Europe the rail infrastructure in Europe ready and do you think are we on the right track? As you said, like I've worked like plenty of years for, for DB Nets, um, like being there the head of sales. And from my point of view, there's no capacity left. So how would we in now less than seven years until 2030 get to the point where we could offer that capacity with the current setups and with the current plans? Like, um, I don't know, ERTMS until 2040, DAC until 2040, Deutschlandtakt until 2070. So I think the plans are so long. So from my point of view, the infrastructure and railway system will fail um, with those um, um, expectations. And this will not allow for a model shift. And we see it everywhere. The uh, routes are so congested. Um, nothing is really working. The only good thing is that it's basically the same in the other sectors. So you have the same in, in the airplane industry and on, on the Rhine with the barges on the highways are also full. So I think in general, we need more capacity um, as mankind and also like for all these transports on for freight, but also like for passenger. So I think this will not happen um, if we do not do something significantly different than today. What do you think we have to change in order to reach these, these ambitious targets? Yeah, so from my point of view, I think rail needs just to be more bold, more adventurous and progressive and, and flexible. So like embracing innovation instead of um, fighting them. Because like if we just continue like how we do, so building new infrastructure over decades and wait that in the future in 2050 something might be better, 
I think nobody will, will come to that stage. Just to give you like a number in Europe, like the trucks on the highway, they have more spare capacity in their traders than railways is transporting now. So 30% spare capacity out of 75% market share is like 20, 20, 25% maybe. So this is more than railways are currently transporting with 18 or 20% market share. So in theory, not one additional truck would be needed to basically wrap up everything from rail and just transport it on road. And then uh, the fr complete freight transport might be like a redundant system. By the way, it's the same for passenger transport. So passenger transport has 8% market share in per passenger kilometers and, and road has 80. So imagine like every tenth car would just pick up one person then all trains would be empty, not just like the trains from um, ÖBB or from, from Deutsche Bahn. All trains so of all railway undertakings would be completely empty. Commuter trains, far distance trains, and this is just like every tenth car. And this is not like a huge innovation to organize such kind of a stuff. So from my point of view, it's more like an end game. And we have maybe like a decade left to really step up and do something different now. Otherwise, railways might be gone. That's probably a crucial point you made. Um, if we take the, the mega trends into consideration, like the rising of the platforms, the fast-growing connectivity of human and machines, uh, as well as AI applications like ChatGTP, then your described scenario becomes uh, even more real. Or in other words, the ecosystem of the rail will be then at risk. You're right, yeah. And the platforms are already there. So this is existing technology to organize such kind of stuff that I've just said and now add on top platooning, electrified trucks, um, driverless trucks. And imagine like how huge the capacity would be if each truck could just drive like as a platoon with maybe one leading driver in five years. And this is like the better freight train. So I think if we do not do something different now, then what are we talking about? Nobody will finance any anything in 2040 if the other systems are just like as sustainable as rail and as capable in mass transport as rail. So what is then the point of continuing rail if this is like an obsolete system? And we see it already today. So I think it's now is a time um, for rail. And, and on the other hand, like the time is now perfect to do something because like the willingness to shift to rail and the political support is there. But now it's to up to delivery and stop like discussing stuff and do some stuff. I think this is now the time for it. Okay, then let's talk about doing some stuff. You worked for a huge infrastructure manager and, and after more than one decade, uh, you decided to leave your comfort zone and to start a new career at a young, innovative railway company. How comes? I was like, I think always within Deutsche Bahn, like in those like 14 years, I was always already an innovator. So I grow like the key account management, um, the European corridors, Einfachbahn with its tools um, was, was like founded by me. And I've always like grown teams and did something, something different. And at a certain point, if you do this like for 14 years, you come to the like boundaries of such kind of a huge corporation and you do not feel like the freedom anymore. So I think for me, it was just like a point in, in time in my career where I have to like step up and get out of my comfort zone and really start to be like an entrepreneur instead of like an intrapreneur. And then I met the crazy guys from, from Nevomo and the founders. And yeah, I was so convinced about the idea and what that could like bring for Ravis that I quit my department lead job within Deutsche Bahn. Then I think in, in four weeks and joined there, taking over the business development for, for Nevomo. Yeah. That's a great story because um, um, I think especially like to leave the comfort zone, it, it might be really like a big step on the one hand. But I think it's needed in, to step up or in order really to, to, to advance the, the railway system if you want to be an innovator and a leader. 
you are working right now for Nevomo. Just tell us what is the vision of Nevomo and what is Nevomo doing and how you would like innovate the, the, the railway. So Nevomo was originally like a pure Hyperloop company. Um, I can like um, explain like what a Hyperloop is um, like in a, in a second. Um, but we turned away like from the pure idea of an, of an Hyperloop. Um, and we are now seeing ourselves like as a deep tech company that is taking some parts of the Hyperloop technology to enable railways um, to do better still in this decade. So at the end, it's all about capacity, flexibility and velocity. This is something that we could add on top to the existing railways. So like, long story short, it's like a mashup of an Hyperloop and a current railway system, but keeping and maintaining the current interoperability with railways. So like a step stepwise approach from today towards like a maybe Hyperloop future. That's fantastic because like my previous podcast guest was Matt and uh, Matt worked like for more than a decade at SpaceX from Elon Musk and, and basically Nevomo started like uh, as far as I remember like uh, in a Hyperloop competition which was also organized by Elon Musk so it's quite interesting that this guy not also influenced how to get to Mars but also like the railway uh, world like uh, where we're operating and so that's Yeah, Elon kicked it off like 10 years ago. He wrote the paper about Hyperloop um, and um, also like invited a lot of student teams and like Nevomo was also like a student team taking part in those SpaceX competitions in Nevada. But um, at the end, he was not involved too much. So he had those competitions, but there was not a single Hyperloop company, including Elon. So, um, but like basically he was like the founding father of all the current Hyperloop um, promoters in the in the market. Yeah. What I really like about the approach of Nevomo uh, is that technology upgrade existing infrastructure um, that there is no need to drill a vacuum tunnel or construct a separate or additional infrastructure it's just an upgrade of the existing standard railway network is that right it's right yeah so um, a hyperloop consists of four components so the most obvious one is a vacuum tube so a huge new infrastructure and maintaining the vacuum so you do not have air truck so this is like the big benefit of an of an um, hyperloop. The second component is a so-called pod. A pod is like a small train, like one wagon or one um, like ICE wagon comparable um, device. Then a magnetic propulsion system, just like giving the velocity and the force towards a pod, and a levitation system, so that you could like really overcome any friction inside of the vacuum tube. And what we did at Nevomo at a certain place in time we turned away from the vacuum idea because like we thought about like, okay, so Hyperloop is the fifth mode of transport. So what are the other four doing and do we really have to compete or is there maybe like a system in place that could benefit from the Hyperloop idea and already has a great network. And that's quite obvious that if you like head for railways, you have like a huge network, 300,000 kilometers in Europe, approaching every city center, going to every harbor zone, to every logistic zone already in place. So the idea is to upgrade the railway system by taking three out of those four components. So we take the magnetic propulsion system included inside of the rails. It's like a magnetic carpet, very flat design. Then on the outsides of the sleepers, we have the levitation beams, and then we would be able to run those pods as levitating pods on the existing infrastructure. For passenger transport, we are able like, to achieve then speeds up to 550 kilometers an hour. So Nevomo in one sentence would be like a tubeless hyperloop on legacy infrastructure. <laughs> That's great. But the concept and the technique of a magnetic levitation, which we call like MacLev system, it's like an old one. Yeah, I think I just read like there is the first paper was back in 1914 from a guy from London. And basically we also know like the famous Transrapid from Siemens. 
But basically, if you just have a, a look on where maglev systems are applied today, I mean, there is some in Japan, some in China. But although it sounds super to have like a noiseless, high-speed, uh, uh, super um, electricity-efficient system carrying cargo and passengers, you just have the feeling that basically the big uh, breakthrough doesn't happen. What is the reason why this concept is not really applied in the scale which it probably should be? So the reasoning behind it, and I think in all maglev projects that were like proposed everywhere in the world, was that it's non-interoperable to rail. So you would have to build like an, a new infrastructure from the scratch. And if you do so, then you end up like in the same problems that railways have. So like if you want to like build a new pure maglev line with new redundant infrastructure, then you need 20 years. Same if you build a high-speed railway line. So the big thing about Nevomo technology is that we are able like to upgrade existing railways. And Like also, if you if you see like who owns railways and the infrastructure, it's always the state. So, and if a state has already invested, I don't know, billions and billions of dollars and euros into its 300,000 kilometers of railway lines in, in Germany and the one million lines all over the world uh, in kilometers, then you would have to throw your asset away and do something completely different. This is something that politicians would not do, and also like the state-owned railway companies would not do because this is their business. So, if you want to do something, you have basically to be interoperable and compatible with what they do. And this is what Nevomo has done. So we have taken like the principles that the maglev has, but basically made it interoperable with, with railways. To give you like an, an easy example, so for example, Transrapid, as you mentioned, was an active levitation. So you turn it on and it levitates even while standing still. With our system, it's a passive levitation system. So we always start on wheels. And then at a certain threshold, we begin or we are able to levitate. And that makes it compatible with railways because... On a railway infrastructure, we can pass over every switch, go to every platform in, an, in a main station, go to every harbor zone by just lowering on wheels and then approaching the station um, as we planned plan to. And this is, I think, the big thing about Nevomo and maybe like from the business side, the secret sauce, um, besides like all these cool technical stuff that we have done like behind the curtain um, in controlling like, for example, linear motor propulsion system. The big part is basically with Nevomo system, it's not all the others are maglevs and hyperloop concepts that you have are like your own infrastructure. So you're basically operating within the infrastructure by just upgrading that. And then you can also match the whole part that we already have an infrastructure. Yeah? And if you just think about how long it takes just to uh, build new infrastructure and how expensive or this also gets, I think that that's probably a, a good way forward uh, exactly to do it. Yeah? yeah, and it's even cooler, Sebastian, because like I've talked about, like we, we leave away the vacuum tube if we leave away um, even more, like no pots, for example, and no levitation, because like at some points this is also not needed, we could use just the magnetic propulsion system to enhance existing railways. This is what we call booster. So basically like the magnetic propulsion system still creates a wave and we have like a counterpart underneath, for example, a retrofitted freight car or a passenger car. And we could like use the magnetic force um, to, for example, increase the train dynamics or the acceleration possibilities of existing trains, which is also like a huge capacity blocker now. So imagine you are in, in based in Austria, you could like drive up Brenner with one locomotive, like at cruise speed of 80, 100 kilometers at full loading limits, how huge the capacity would be. Or imagine like you could re-accelerate your freight trains um, in Austria just like 20, 30, 40 percent faster than, than today. This will boost the capacity and this is needed now. So levitation might be the future, but now we need like a better railway system. That's what I was talking about in the beginning um, of our talk that we have to step up as railways. And this is like a great possibility for railways. 
Yeah, that's the point. And, and for the audience, um, I visited the test site of Nivomo in Poland uh, to observe a test drive um, of one of the pods. But what was quite surprising to me that the infrastructure looked not really different or, or super futuristic. There are the standard tracks, which everyone knows. And in the middle above the sleepers, uh, you see a lot of cables are formed to a flat tube, are the so-called linear motor. And, and just outside the tracks, there are smaller tracks, one of each side, which enables the levitation at a certain speed. So what you will miss is, for example, the catenary system, because the linear motor is not a simple power supply, it's actually the engine or the propulsion system. And on the pod itself, there is just a big magnet which enables the pod or the wagon to serve on a magnetic wave. And that's, Stefan, your famous magnetic surfing story. Yeah, if you're not an engineer, like all these like stator mover, linear motor stuff sounds sounds weird. So uh, the the magnetic carpet that is like laid out the stator is creating a magnetic wave, and the counterpart underneath the wagon or the pod is like a surfboard. And if you like have both like synchronized, you could surf the magnetic wave, and this is exactly what we do. So like the wave is like attracting the the wagon and then pushing it, or also like breaking it. So we have like both possibilities: so super fast acceleration. Uh, with high forces, but also super um, short, uh, like braking distances, which is like another capacity blocker in railways. And that principle of a magnetic surfboard and a magnetic wave, so this is what we what we basically use. The thing is, we control the wave, so this is maybe the difference to the surfing story. So we control the wave and not the surfboard. And the surfboard is basically then the slave of the infrastructure. So out of the infrastructure, every wagon is in full control. Um, which makes it also like easier to optimize such kind of a system, for example, with AI then later on um, to even increase the capacity more with um, new operational schemes that are then um, applicable. So there is no locomotive anymore needed because basically the engine is in the track and not anymore on the vehicle itself. Exactly. So the wagon is self-propelled without having an engine, which sounds weird, but like just via the magnetic wave, it, it could be propelled and like You do not need the locomotive anymore and you also do not need like long trains anymore because why consolidate a train if every wagon could just go on its own. But this is like the vision um, because I also know I'm not a, like a fantast um, um, that this needs some time also like from regulation perspective and from the authorities. So like the first use cases are super close to, to existing railway operations. So we will like enhance full trains that, that are physically coupled and running on the routes with additional traction power. And that's actually the really cool approach, in my opinion. There are two techniques which together enables MacRail. Uh, on the one hand, you, you have the linear motor, which accelerate and break the pot or wagon. And on the other hand, you have the MacLev application to let the pot levitating or flying. You can use the both techniques together, but you can also use the linear motor as a standalone component. So if you have a steep ramp, You can just upgrade the short part of the existing infrastructure with the linear motor as well as some wagons with the so-called booster, the big magnet below the wagon, and you will have already a big capacity increase. And if you would like to move your pod with more than 500 or up to 550 kilometers, you need to apply the, the maglev setup on top. Whereas uh, this top speed is probably a bit futuristic, you will be able to use the linear motor already today. And what I also learned is The idea of the booster came out of a conversation with one of your friends. Or in other words, uh, this uh, technology came out of the big long-term vision of Nevomo and, and offers already an upgrade today. Exactly. Because if you go to, to Deutsche Bahn or to UBB or SBB or 
SNCF and you tell them like, oh, look, you have to just refurbish 60,000 kilometers and then you have a cool new system. Basically, this is last sentence that you tell to, um, to a railway expert. So you have to offer something now. You have to offer something reasonable. You also have to de-risk it. And in our case, with the booster case, so even if it fails the technology, because like it's still under development, um, so if somebody would want to use it now, there's some possibility that we have to, I don't know, fix something or refurbish it something um, in the upcoming like one, two years until it's like really market ready and industrialized. But like the fallback is then not like, oh, the route is closed because we turned it into a full maglev route. So like the fallback is railways today, which is not so bad. But you get like those additional benefits already now. And the beautiness is, as exactly as you said, you don't have to do it everywhere. So you could start like with one ramp, with one acceleration track or one like passing track or one tunnel that is not able to electrify. So there are plenty of use cases that we are already discussing with uh, big railway companies to name, for example, SNCF or RFI in, in Italy. Uh, Duisport is one of our partners. And also on rolling stock side, we have, for example, GATX that has already retrofitted two cars that we are, as we speak, um, testing. So we were there like in, I think in June, visiting our test track. And um, after your visit, we turned away from the levitation tests and are now testing already the booster idea on our test track in, in Nova Zegena in Poland. That's interesting. I ask myself, what is the reason why an infrastructure manager actually are interested to upgrade the tracks with a booster? Uh, if you use the booster to get rid of the pushing engine, then you will solve a challenge for the railway undertaking and not for the infrastructure manager. Or, or which point I don't see? It's a new capacity. From my point of view, there's no alternative technology in place that could be deployed now to increase the capacity by means. And by means, I'm talking about 20, 30% that could still happen still this decade. Imagine like the other plan that, that just like bring the benefits when everything is, is deployed. So um, true, currently infrastructure managers, this is like a usual business, what they do, they just push the problem to the railway undertaking, then it's not there yet and they have like maintained the infrastructure. But if you really want to achieve your goals, I said, like, you have to be more bold, more adventurous and do something different because if we just do the same and expect a different result, then I think nothing of that will, will happen and exactly we will come to the scenarios that, we, that we've discussed like 10 minutes ago, um, that railways might fail and other means of transport might innovate and then um, there's no point to have railways anymore, which would be a pity because I said, like, I'm, I'm an innovator in railways, but I'm also in love with railways. That's why I'm still here, like, trying to enable them and not, like, on the side of the truck industry, trying to destroy railways finally. So, and, and I think we, we have the time now, but we have to do to start now. But basically, as the infrastructure managers, some are already interested in, I think that, that that could be a way forward. And I'm just thinking also what we had the talk with Nathan. He said that even passenger traffic is a kind of a competitor for cargo traffic on rail when it comes to capacity, right? But basically, with this booster, you have additionally a faster acceleration. So basically, the cargo train could speed up much more faster. Then you have more capacity um, on the tracks, which is especially in bottlenecks where in the rural area or in some metropolitan areas, I think absolutely necessary in order to get more capacity at trains. Yeah, but this is first step. So to accelerate what is there. And then um, when I'm usually talking in conferences like to, to railway guys and the model guys, they, um, they do not like, for example, the idea of a levitating container. They always tell me like the following story, like, oh, the container is 10 weeks on a, on a ship and then one week in the dock in Hamburg and, or Rotterdam and then doesn't have to levitate and run 550 to Munich uh, because the customer will not pay for it. And that is true on one hand side, but imagine like from a capacity perspective, imagine like a container or freight 
train could run like at the same speed as the ICE trains because nobody will slow down the ICE trains. So let's face it, this will not happen because containers do not vote and people do vote. So people want to be fast. So the only possibility to even increase it then further is like to homologate and like synchronize the speeds. So if a container could also run 200 kilometers an hour with like a new kind of um, wagon, then this is the way to go to even increase it further. Because if you synchronize speeds, you get the maximum capacity out of a, out of a system. So the booster is the first step. And then even faster, maybe new freight cars in 5, 10, 12 years will be then the next step to even increase it more by just a simple upgrade. So I'm not talking about building new lines. This was all on the existing um, railway network that we do have. That sounds like a good plan. I would like also to share some further insights about the technique of the levitation. Your colleague Casper explained uh, on the test side that you need uh, roughly about 70 kilometers per hour to start to fly. And from this moment on, like two forces are in place. Uh, one which let the pot fly, which is obviously a good one, and another one which pushes you back. And the second force gets lower with a higher speed. And here comes my takeaway, a very energy efficient levitating starts just from a speed uh, of 250 kilometers and more before it's very energy intense. So actually, um, we can think in three categories. From zero to up to 250 kilometers per hour, the normal setup of railway is probably the most efficient way. And although today's high-speed trains uh, could even run much uh, uh, faster, uh, you will not do it because the, the wear of the components gets really high and therefore super expensive. Category 2, from the speed from 250 to 550, the maglev is probably the most efficient approach uh, and to reach further up to 1000 or even faster, uh, you will need then the Hyperloop technology with the famous Wacom tubes. And with these categories, uh, you can think already in different business cases because, um, as you said, probably no customer will, will pay so much money to transport a container within two hours across Europe. And as far as I understood, uh, that Nivom is focusing in the first step to enhance operations up to 250 kilometers, so in category one, and later on some specific business cases uh, to do the maglev approach, right? Yeah, true. Also here, the like interference with the existing infrastructure, so the upgrade needs would be the the least um, to achieve to achieve these goals. And I said, like in the upcoming 10 years, if we would come to such kind of a stage, like maybe even on wheels without levitation first, this would already have a huge impact. And then it's like Lego. So if the propulsion system is already there, so the magnetic wave carpet in the middle, then you could just add the levitation on top where it's needed because you can really mesh it up. So imagine like I'm describing maybe an example. So you start in Berlin Hauptbahnhof and you want to go to Warsaw, for example, to visit the, the nice headquarters of Nevomo. Then like you would run on wheels um, inside of the city center. So maybe to Spandau. Then in Spandau, you would um, speed up and maybe um, run then with 250 still on wheels because the levitation infrastructure was not deployed. And in Poland, for example, there's like a levitation infrastructure already. So you could speed up to 550 with a pot, then going to the next destination. And I don't know, the last 100 kilometers, Poland has already deployed a vacuum tube and hyperloop. So the pot could enter the hypertube and then speed up to a thousand kilometers. Leave it in the outskirts of Warsaw, um, the vacuum tube, because I'm also not a believer of big tubes in the city centers. And then just go back on mark rail rails, maybe on wheels, and then basically run at the same speed as the commuter trains to Warsaw uh, main station. Well, that would be, for example, a mashup. So you see, it's 
upwards compatible, but also downwards compatible. So for example, the Hyperloop tube is broken and the pod could just go on the, on the other line where, for example, like the magnetic propulsion system for freight was, was deployed. Um, and this is, I think, the real beautiness of our system that it's interoperable with existing railways, but also like up to, up to Hyperloop. And that makes us also like unique um, in the world, like that approach. Okay, so previously you talked about integration between road and rail and you're talking about like one step further, the integration of future rail. Yeah, that's nice. Exactly. Talking about costs, can you just give us a feeling to upgrade the infrastructure in terms of investments? Give us a, a rough overview about what does it needs to have like the linear motor in the lines and to have the levitation system. And I think also in comparison, what costs like just a normal high-speed infrastructure today if you're constructing like in the in the today's way? So if I start like from the highest numbers, so like in, for example, a Japanese maglev costs um, $160 million per kilometer. Per kilometer. Uh, per kilometer, right. Um, and, and maglev or an um, Hyperloop, so nobody has built a Hyperloop yet, but these are like the estimates, costs around like 30 to 50 million euros. And standard high-speed railway line ends up like 25 to maybe 35 or 40 in, in Switzerland or And in Australia, like because we have like more more infrastructure that is needed, and our system as an upgrade, like with levitation, is like around eight to 10 million euros. The full fledged system um, on the infrastructure side, so it's like a third of the costs. Um, so even if you end up like with some additions, maybe that would be needed on the on the current tracks, like at half of the costs, you could have like a high speed railway infrastructure in place, and probably like half of the time of the deployment um, because like it's an upgrade and no new build infrastructure like doubling the capacity and like the the possible like um, um, top speeds yeah and booster on the other hand so like as a starting point is around three uh, million euros which might sound expensive compared for example to a catenary or like i don't know etcs deployment but if you see like what a the booster um, um, stator could like bring like on additional capacity automation um, because like it's like a super device. So it's a booster is a loco driver, the locomotive, the catenary system, and maybe going forward could be also like an integrated signaling system and maybe safety system. Because when the infrastructure is propelling the vehicles, why count axles, for example, if the infrastructure always knows what it's happening on, on it? Because like they basically control the wagons themselves and there's no like third party controlling the wagons anymore. So like at the end for the automation and for the capacity that we bring, This is a super business case and we see it already like in the calculation that we do with um, existing big railway players um, that the business case is is good from a capacity perspective. And especially like for ramps, because if you have like a ramp, then you just need, I don't know, maybe it's just a half kilometer of this linear motor and you just overcome to need a second pushing or, or a tall locomotive, yeah. which basically makes the whole transport is much more simple with a higher quality. And basically, there is a lot of effort right now ongoing just to have these pushing engines because there are hundreds of trains on the corridor, cargo trains every day. So basically, if you just count that, then as, as you said, I can imagine that the business case pays off quite quickly. Yeah? When you have to compare it like to the second best alternative, so like pushing locomotive is one, then you give the problem again like to the railway undertakings. But if you like want to have like a performed infrastructure, um, as said, like I was working for DBnet, so... If you would, for example, take Frankenwaldrambe, which might a lot of like railway guys uh, know in Germany. So this is like an, an incline in Germany. And the second best alternative would be like building a tunnel or like the Ost Corridor. Um, and both would take decades. Uh, like a tunnel would cost, I don't know, 2 billion euros maybe under Frankenwaldrambe. Ost Corridor costs 200 million euros. 
and like um, implementing it on those 25 kilometers on the north south corridor adding up like an additional like a lot of capacity would cost maybe 75 million euros so compared to like alternative investments and also like from deployment times this is um, from my point of view a no-brainer to implement technology there and you see it like in the examples are with 25 kilometers on a route of maybe 500 or 700 kilometers you would really leverage the capacity now adding maybe one, two additional train passes on a major um, track per hour and per direction is really increasing the capacity by, by means. So this is already like 10, 20, 20% with just one project. What I also hear quite frequently is like the deployment period. Basically, even if, if we invest really a lot of money, it takes like decades in order to really get it up and running. And I think that that's, that's one of the major points because you said before, we don't have decades. We just have one decade just to prove that the railway is a really good front runner or at least a good mode of transport. And therefore, at the time, it's the more critical thing, even like the, the investments. And yeah, we also know that life cycles in the railway infrastructure and also the vehicles are very, very long. Yeah? Are, and therefore, if you find an, an easy way to upgrade, for example, wagons, to upgrade the existing infrastructure, I think that it's a really nice approach, in my opinion. And also like the, the retrofit of the rolling stock is is quite easy. And maybe like to give another example or like, in, 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 um, I was like talking a bit in pictures. So like we are more comparable, for example, to an e-bike. So you have an existing bicycle and you add like an engine and a battery and then you get like a better bicycle and e-bike. And um, this is what we do. So we do not change or throw away railways. So we take the sweet spot of railways, it's super efficient, like under catenary, um, and nice locomotive in front. You could, run, I don't know, run with 2,000 tons in a very efficient way using like the benefits of a railway system, low friction, steel on steel. And we overcome like the challenges that they have. And steel on steel friction, for example, as you said, like bad on rams, bad on acceleration, bad on braking, and just make it better in those points. And this will be like the starting point um, on the open network. Plus the automation, for example, in, in marshalling yards, terminals, and harbors, um, where we where we also do have some some issues um, as of today, like this electrification and automation um, to enhance the, the railway system. But the rest of the system for the starting point, which just work as it is now, and then it gives you all these passes and um, crossings that we could take to basically make it better where it's needed, as you've seen, like that Lego principle. So you could just add like those Lego stones, Nevomo stones, and where it's needed, like there levitation, here a ramp accelerator, in a city center, maybe, I don't know, a platform, after a platform, an accelerator for a muted train, um, and, and much, much more use cases that you could basically um, think of with a technology mashup. Maybe some of our audience listening today and, and think about like, that sounds quite cool. Like, can you just give us a timeline from Nevomo when you expect to have like the first uh, like booster technology applied and, and what about the maglev? Can you just give us an idea uh, about the timeline? So we are already testing it, as I said, like you've seen the levitation on site, then the um, retrofitted JATX wagons are tested as we as we speak. So we will, based on the um, outcomes of those tests, we will use it for a final iteration for um, industrialization, um, I'm coming to a stage where we could homologate and certify it and get the authorizations to, to run it. We will um, start next year a first commercial project, so a real-world application and real-world infrastructure outside of our test center. Uh, we cannot name the project yet because this is still under negotiations. And we think by 25, um, we will have like the first um, allowance to install. That's tomorrow. 
in a railway. It's tomorrow. Like in, yeah, railways are planning like in five year time shift. So a lot of things will still happen like in the current um, planning time frame. So 25 will see it in closed or semi-closed infrastructures. That means the wagons um, can run in that infrastructure but not, are not allowed to leave it, but others can like approach it. And then the open network applications like on RAMs and so is planned for 27 and 28, which is basically the day after tomorrow for railways. And levitation is currently planned for early 2030s. Um, levitation is coming later, even if we have now proven that it works. But they're like much more like safety considerations to be taken into account um, 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 and, and to get the allowances. And we need also like a bigger testing infrastructure. So the current test center is just too small. So we're currently also already searching like for a bigger test center of maybe 10, maybe up to 30 kilometers where you could like do endurance tests and um, like prove that the technology is safe to use and, and, and working for it. And this takes some time and money. Um, so this is then planned for 2000, early 2030s. Just a quick question. Are there sufficient test tracks available? Not really, um, because like if you want to like run 550 kilometers an hour, you need like a very good track condition. So one would be like to build something from the scratch new, but then we end up like in the railway trap that this needs like allowances, 20 years and I don't know, of planning and I don't know, spending a billion euros in like a nice test center. So we are currently heading for the um, existing test centers. For example, there, I said like um, RFI is one of our closest partners in Italy. They've proposed, for example, the uh, rolling stock test center in Bologna San Donato, so that we could upgrade it there. This is like six, eight kilometers, which would be like a great starting point. And like from other infrastructure perspectives, there are not too much test centers that could be used. So Transrapid testing in Laden could be like a, a cool idea, which is still there. That would be like, for example, an existing test center that could be could be reused. Yeah. Because that's something also like everyone to have new technology, but to find like the testing in order to get approval, it's like quite difficult. That's maybe also like one thing which we also have to think a little bit like on a European level. But not just talk about Europe because like uh, we want to address a global scale. So are you also operating outside Europe already or is there a plan to, to address your topic, your technology in the world? We are quite present in Europe, as you said already, like also with the corporations. Um, we are currently um, heavily heading towards the Middle East um, because like over there, like a lot of stuff is happening. Like Also to give you a number, Saudi Arabia alone is now building 8,000 kilometers of new railway lines as we speak. And this is planned to be constructed until 2030. So there are like other regions that are able like to deploy more than two kilometers a year. And um, I'm like for new infrastructures, um, the good thing is this could be already made micro-rail ready. So if with some considerations inside of the planning and without disturbing the projects, you could already prepare for a micro-rail stage later, for example, with a special sleeper design or, you know, um, like some space where we could like put our technology in. So um, Middle East is already ongoing. And as of next year, we also plan to start in North America. Canada and the US, which also has like a huge railway network, mainly for freight. In the US, the, the good thing is that the railways are bundled. So in Europe, it's unbundled. So you have ÖBB, for example, with uh, infrastructure and um, then the railway undertaking is driving it. In the US, it's bundled. So if one player decides to do so, he can basically just swap his network and also like the operation and then makes it a bit easier. On the other hand, Although the leverage might be bigger in the US because, for example, in, in the US, it's just 1% electrified of the railroad. So if you want to be sustainable, then our um, technology could leapfrog the current railway installments. So instead of building a catenary system, for example, you could just upgrade to MacRail, a MacRail booster to get it like 
all in one and then start autonomous operations, for example, which is idea if you if you're in control of everything. So the rolling stock and the infrastructure and like you own your own landlord and can, you can just allow yourself basically or maybe a bit too easy, but you can just allow yourself to do, to do so. This was also what Matt said, like the biggest difference between Europe and the US is basically the, the US is mainly focused on the first hand, like on the rail freight and, and Europe more on passenger. But the second big stack is that basically they have six so-called class one railroads and they are integrated. So they are really undertaking at the same time like infrastructure. So they optimize like the whole operations and you just have six and basically the whole network it's 20% smaller than in Europe but it's still huge yeah and the fun thing is they are earning money compared to Europe so like all these railway companies they earn good money they have good revenues good outcomes out of it so this is like a, a complete different system but we also see like big benefits there because like also the distances are huger um, yeah, there absolutely. compared to Europe what you told me what I find quite exciting idea is basically although Uh, to levitate, uh, it just makes from a, from an electric uh, point of view uh, or efficiency point of view starting at 250. But can you just give us the idea why it could make sense even to levitate with just 60 or 70 kilometers in the Middle East? So in, in the Middle East, Saudi Arabia and these regions, you have that sand issue. So like the constant sand on the infrastructure track plus running with the wheels over it is like um, destroying the wheel sets. So the, like the lifetime of a wheel set in, in Saudi Arabia, for example, is like a third of here in Europe. So even if, if it would be like energy inefficient um, to levitate at a um, lower threshold, then from a, like a life cycle perspective and total cost of ownership perspective, it might make sense to levitate, to get rid basically of the um, um, land issue here. So this could be like a, a consideration then for these regions, because like if you increase like the overall life cycle plus adding new capabilities or these networks, I think this is a an, an, an very, very good idea. And in general, like the region itself is very open to innovations and very open to new technologies and they want to like have state of the art technologies. And they're also like quite fast in deciding and, and, and doing so. Um, plus, they do not have an energy problem. Because like in, in Saudi Arabia, even like if you uh, go away from the combustion engine and like burning oil, which is, I think, not a good idea at all, like they have constant sun, um, constant heat. So they could produce like with solar plants so much energy that like even if it would be a waste on one side, like if you have endless energy. And I think also like um, as mankind with some um, new technologies, you might end up in a situation where energy is not the issue anymore then I think the levitation idea also like at lower speeds is just a good idea because you get rid of a lot of other issues that railways have. So if you levitate also like at lower speeds, no noise. Then I, those small particles that railways is producing like um, like those steel dust, for example, this is all, all gone. The infrastructure could be lighter. We could like rethink railways as, as a whole system going forward. And this is starting now with our innovation. So I think if we would do the same podcast maybe in another 200 years, I think this might have been like a changing point um, in, in railway history where railways basically turned to, to something new, but still like keeping the good things about railways. Because I think this is also truth be told, if railways would be so bad, then this would have already disappeared. So this is a system in place for 200 years. It's a cornerstone of the European strong industry. So there has to be something right about railways. And let's strengthen the things that are already good and overcome basically the challenges and the things that are not good within railways. And I think we should really try to enhance it. And what we do in railways is we, we try to strengthen the strengths. And even if you, do, if you have like 10% efficiency upgrade on what is already good, then the, the difference is so tiny 
And I think we have to overcome the, the rest of it where railways are bad, non-automation um, at the last miles and such. And I think if we if we rethink um, the whole system also like together with the other players, because like the truck will be always there. We see it in intermodal, there would be no intermodal um, trains without any any trucks. And combine it like in a smart way, um, every uh, means of transport at its sweet spot, I think we end up in a, in a very good and comfortable situation um, in transport industry, both for passenger and freight, by the way. That's super good closing words. I think if we look back in a few decades, I said, okay, this decade was now the turning point to convert uh, the railway uh, into something much better or like into the future. I mean, that sounds like innovation. That sounds like leader. And that sounds like RailUp. So Stefan, thank you very much for uh, having you and to have this very interesting approach and story of Nevomo and about yourself. It was great to see you and to have you in RailUp and welcome to the RailUp Club, Stefan. Thanks, Sebastian. It was a great talk. Thank you so much. What is the contribution to drive climate change? Our contribution is adding capacity to the railway system and this will directly help um, to drive the change um, in the climate area. The ball is in your court. What is the next step to drive change? The next step to drive the change is to, to implement it in a real world environment as set and like to really show it up and running in a real railway use case. And that will really help to convince like a lot more people than already today. Which superhero do we need to avoid the climate disaster? I think we do not need a superhero to save us. I think it's all on us like to do it together as, as a team. I'm, I'm a big Star Wars fan. So maybe it's more about like founding a group of rebels to change it and like to fight this supervillain Darth Vader, which is Aka the climate change. So let's be rebels and let's change the system in a, in a good way to a better future for all of us. What's the takeaway from this episode? My main takeaway is that in theory, the road has the capacity to fully absorb rail freight without the need for any additional truck. However, this scenario relies on an advanced integration of platforms, platooning and AI capabilities. But it shows us at the same time the necessity to re-evaluate the rail ecosystem. Then in terms of energy efficient, the rail should be the front runner when it comes to long-haul transportations. With a tailwind in the current decade, there are plenty of opportunities to introduce new technologies to the rail ecosystem, but this demands a proactive approach. One promising strategy is to upgrade existing infrastructure rather than building entirely new systems like vacuum tubes. And that's the vision of Nevomo. Implementing a linear motor between existing tracks makes it possible to enhance acceleration and braking capabilities for individual wagons, potentially eliminating the need for a locomotive as a propulsion system. This system could be expanded with a maglev infrastructure in a later stage allowing pods to fly slightly above the tracks, reaching speeds of up to 500 km per hour or simply mitigating issues related to friction in sand environments. We learned in the previous episode that a strong integration of road and rail is needed and today that also an integration of various technologies into one infrastructure might be a promising approach. And yes, if you need to travel more than 1000 km per hour, the Hyperloop is probably the best choice. Furthermore, I have learned that the most effective way to comprehend and evaluate new technology is to visit a test site and see and breathe oneself the atmosphere of innovations. I've personally experienced this and I highly recommend others to seek such hands-on experiences. With rail tech companies like Nivomo, I'm convinced that the rail could become the front runner for long-haul transportations. 
that sounds like shaping the ecosystem of rail. That sounds like RailUp. This podcast connects innovators and leaders worldwide to shape the future ecosystem of rail. RailUp by Sebastian Sperker.